Preacher and Prayer by A.M. Bounds, Chapter 3 During this affliction, I was brought to examine my life in relation to eternity closer than I had done when in the enjoyment of health. In this examination relative to the discharge of my duties towards my fellow creatures as a man, a Christian minister, and an officer of the church, I stood approved by my own conscience. But in relation to my Redeemer and Savior, the result was different. My returns of gratitude and loving obedience bear no proportion to my obligations for redeeming, preserving, and supporting me through the vicissitudes of life from infancy to old age. The coldness of my love to him who first loved me and has done so much for me overwhelmed and confused me, and to complete my unworthy character, I had not only neglected to improve the grace given to the extent of my duty and privilege, but for want of that improvement had, while abounding in perplexing care and labor, declined from first zeal and love. I was confounded, humbled myself, employed mercy, and renewed my covenant to strive and devote myself unreservedly to the Lord. Bishop McKendry The preaching that kills may be, and often is, orthodox, dogmatic, and voluble orthodox. We love orthodox. It is good. It is the best. It is the clean, clear-cut teaching of God's Word. The trophies won by truth in its conflict with error, the levies which faith has raged against the desolating floods of honest and reckless misbelief or unbelief. But orthodox, clear and hard as crystal, suspicious and militant, may be but the letter well-shaped, well-named, and well-learned, the letter which kills. Nothing is so dead as a dead orthodox, too dead to speculate, too dead to think, to study, or to preach. The preaching that kills may have insight and grasp of principles, may be secularly and critical in taste, may have every minute of the de um, derivation and grammar of the word, of the letter, may be able to trim the letter into its perfect pattern and illumine it as Plato and Cyrocero, that's C-I-C-E-R-O, may be illuminated, may study it as a lawyer studies his textbooks to form his brief or to defend his case, and yet be like a frost, a killing frost. Letter preaching may be eloquent, enameled with poetry and rhetoric, sprinkled with prayer, spiced with sensation, illuminated by genius, And yet these be but the massive or chase costly mountains, <clears throat> the rare and beautiful flowers which coffin the corpse. The preaching which kills may be without uh, scholarship, unmarked by any freshness of thought or feeling, clothed in tasteless generalities or um, vetted, uh, vapid specialties, with style irregular, sovereignly, uh, savoringly neither of closet nor of study, Christ neither by thought, expression, or prayer. Under such preaching, how wide and utter the desolation, how profound the spiritual death. This letter preaching deals with the surface and shallow of things, and not the things themselves. It does not penetrate the inner part. It has no deep insight into, no strong grasp of, the hidden life of God's Word.
It is true to the outside, but the outside is the hull, which must be broken and penetrated for the kernel. The letter may be dressed so as to attract and be fashionable, but the attraction is not towards God, nor is the fashion for heaven. The failure is in the preacher. God has not made him. He has never been in the hands of, hands of God like clay in the hands of the potter. He has been busy about the sermon, its thought and finish, its drawing and impressive forces. But the deep things of God have never been sought, studied, fathomed, experienced by him. He has never stood before, quote, the throne high and lifted up, unquote. Never heard the seraphim's song, never seen the vision or felt the rush of that awful holiness, and cried out in utter abandon and despair under the sense of weakness and guilt, and had his life renewed, his heart touched, purged, inflamed by the live coal from God's altar. His ministry may draw people to him, to the church, to the form and ceremony, but no drawings to God, no sweet, holy, divine communion introduced. The church has been frescoed, but not edified, pleased, but not sanctified. Life is suppressed. A chill is on the summer air. The soil is baked. The city of our God becomes the city of the dead. The church, a graveyard, not an embattled army. Praise and prayer are stifled. Worship is dead. The preacher and the preaching have helped sin, not holiness. People, hell, not heaven. Preaching which kills is prayerless preaching. Without prayer, the preacher creates death and not life. The preacher who is feeble is in prayer is feeble in life-giving forces. The preacher who has retired prayer as a conspicuous and largely prevailing element in his own character has shorn his preaching of its distinctive life-giving power. Professional praying there is and will be, but professional praying helps the preaching to its deadly work. Professional praying chills and kills both preaching and praying. Much of the lax devotion and lazy, irreverent attitudes in congressional, congregational praying are attributable to professional praying in the pulpit. Long, discursive, dry, and innate are the prayers in many pulpits. Without unction or heart, they, fa- they fall like a killing frost on all the gr- graces of worship. Death-dealing prayers they are. Every vestige of devotion has perished under their breath. The deader they are, the longer they grow. A plead for short praying, live praying, real heart praying, praying by the Holy Spirit, direct, specific, ardent, simple, unctuous in the pulpit is in order. A school to teach preachers how to pray, as God counts praying, should be more beneficial to true piety, true worship, and true preaching than all theological schools. Stop. Pause. Consider. Where are we? What are we doing? Preaching to kill? Praying to kill? Praying to God? The great God, the maker of all worlds, the judge of all men? What reverency? What simplicity? What serenity? What sincerity? What truth in the inward parts is demanded? How real we must be. How hearty. Prayer to God, the noblest exercise. 
the loftiest effort of man, the most real thing. Shall we not discard forever a cursed preaching that kills, and prayer that kills, and do the real thing, the mightiest thing, prayerful praying, life-creating preaching, bring the, brings the mightiest force to bear on heaven and earth, and draw on God's exhaustless and open treasure for the need and beggary of man? Come back tomorrow for the next chapter.